Do you have something to say? Do you believe that everybody should be enabled, encouraged and empowered to tell their story? Speaking is power. As it's said, if you can speak well, you can influence. And if you can influence, you can change lives, your own and others. Welcome to the Let's Stand podcast, speaking up about speaking out. My name is Siobhan Fitzgerald and it's a pleasure to connect with you today. So today we're going to have a listen to Barack Obama's victory speech of 2008. If there is anyone out there who still doubts that America is a place where all things are possible, who still wonders if the dream of our founders is alive in our time, who still questions the power of our democracy, Tonight is your answer. It's the answer told by lines that stretched around schools and churches in numbers this nation has never seen, by people who waited three hours and four hours, many for the first time in their lives, because they believed that this time must be different that their voices could be that difference. It's the answer spoken by young and old, rich and poor, Democrat and Republican, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, Native American, gay, straight, disabled and not disabled, Americans who sent a message to the world that we have never been just a collection of individuals or a collection of red states and blue states, we are and always will be the United States of America. It's the answer that that led those who've been told for so long by so many to be cynical and fearful and doubtful about what we can achieve to put their hands on the arc of history and bend it once more toward the hope of a better day. It's been a long time coming, but tonight, because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment, change has come to America. Barack Obama begins by dispelling any doubts that anyone may have had regarding whether America was a place where all things were possible. He starts off by evoking the American dream, linking implicitly to Martin Luther King's famous, I have a dream speech. Ensuring that he is inclusive of all, he intentionally includes people of all different ethnic backgrounds, young, old, gay, straight, disabled and able-bodied, We are and always will be the United States of America. He assures people that their voices could be heard and be that difference. The high turnout for voting is referenced and depicted by images of voters in queues. 
he introduces a theme that will run throughout his whole speech and his presidency, a theme that he has become synonymous with even prior to this election, the theme of hope. The title of one of his books is in fact, The Audacity of Hope. So how does Barack Obama give this message, the message of his words? Well, he has a very strong, confident and calm stance with his hands joined and resting on the lectern. He uses a few small, subtle, but appropriate hand gestures, like the finger pointing down to emphasize and stress, this time must be different. Speaking slowly and clearly, there are three rhetorical devices in particular he uses in this section, and in fact, throughout the speech. And these are groups of three, contrasts, and vivid imagery. He uses groups of three, for example, because of what we did on this day, in this election, at this defining moment. He uses contrasts, for example, young and old, rich and poor, what's coming and what's now come. An example of where he uses vivid imagery is in the bending of the ark towards a better future. He paraphrases then from the song, it's been a long time coming, but change has come to America. The hope theme is very evident here again. A little bit earlier this evening, uh, I received uh, an extraordinarily gracious call from Senator McCain. Senator McCain fought long and hard in this campaign, and he's fought even longer and harder for the country that he loves. He has endured sacrifices for America that most of us cannot begin to imagine. We are better off for the service rendered by this brave and selfless leader. I congratulate him. I congratulate Governor Palin for all that they've achieved. And I look forward to working with them to renew this nation's promise in the months ahead. I want to thank my partner in this journey, a man who campaigned from his heart and spoke for the men and women he grew up with on the streets of Scranton and rode with on the train home to Delaware, the Vice President-elect of the United States, Joe Biden. And I would not be standing here tonight without the unyielding support of my best friend for the last 16 years, the rock of our family, the love of my life, the nation's next first lady, Michelle Obama. <laughs> Sasha and Malia, I love you both more than you can imagine and you have earned the new puppy that's coming with us to the White House. 
And while she's no longer with us, I know my grandmother's watching, along with the family that made me who I am. I miss them tonight. I know that my debt to them is beyond measure. To my sister Maya, my sister Alma, all my other brothers and sisters, thank you so much for all the support that you've given me. I am grateful to them. Obama acknowledges the phone call he received from Senator McCain and states that he looks forward to working with his opponents, McCain and Palin, on a common purpose. He graciously acknowledges three worthy things McCain has done. He's fought a campaign, he's fought for the country, and he has endured sacrifices. He thanks Vice President-elect Joe Biden, who again has also done three things, campaigned, spoken, and ridden on a train. This perhaps is a reference to Biden's daily commute by train from Delaware to Washington in 1972, after his first wife and daughter had died in a road accident. So in this section again, we hear clearly groups of three evident in his reference to his best friend, one, the love of his life, two, the rock of our family, the nation's first lady, Michelle Obama. By describing the people he is thanking first, before he names them. Obama is making it clearer for the audience here when they can respond with an applause. That is, after he has called the name. If you look carefully at the video, we notice again small but clear hand gestures that match his words, like when he crosses his hands moving them out from side to side, a universally recognized gesture for no or no way, reinforcing the message of his words, can't imagine. The announcement of the new puppy for Sasha Malia and reference to gratitude to his grandmother and family, his two sisters and other brothers and sisters really depicts him as a very normal, kind father and person and grounded family man. To my campaign manager, David Plouffe. The unsung hero of this campaign who built the best the best political campaign, I think, in the history of the United States of America. To my chief strategist, David Axelrod, who has been a partner with me every step of the way. To the best campaign team ever assembled in the history of politics, you made this happen, and I am forever grateful for what you've sacrificed to get it done. But above all, I will never forget who this victory truly belongs to. It belongs to you. It belongs to you. I was never the likeliest candidate for this office. We didn't start with much money or many endorsements. Our campaign was not hatched in the halls of Washington. 
It began in the backyards of Des Moines, in the living rooms of Concord, and the front porches of Charleston. It was built by working men and women who dug into what little savings they had to give $5 and $10 and $20 to the cause. It grew strength from the young people who rejected the myth of their generation's apathy, who left their homes and their families for jobs that offered little pay and less sleep. It drew strength from the not-so-young people who braved the bitter cold and scorching heat to knock on doors of perfect strangers, and from the millions of Americans who volunteered and organized and proved that more than two centuries later, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people has not perished from the earth. This is your victory. Now, I know you didn't do this just to win an election. And I know you didn't do it for me. You did it because you understand the enormity of the task that lies ahead. Obama now acknowledges and thanks the campaign manager, referring to the best political campaign in the history of America, to his chief strategist and the best campaign team. He is giving credit where credit is due. You made this happen. Above all, these words, above all, signal to the audience that something really important is coming. Above all, this victory belongs to you. Making three points about where his campaign started modestly. Number one, built by working men. Number two, grew strength from young people. Number three, he refers to, once again, three everyday places that this happened, in backyards, living rooms, and front porches. In this section, we note the use of contrasts again in braved the bitter cold and scorching heat. Groups of three again are evident in a government of the people, by the people and for the people, which he emphasizes and punctuates with a strong hand gesture. Hand gestures are visible again when he refers to the millions of America and opens his arms out a little wider, an open, welcoming, inclusive gesture. Coming to the end of this section, we see a lady in the crowd so moved, she has tears in her eyes as Obama begins to talk about the enormity of the task that lies ahead. For even as we celebrate tonight, we know the challenges that tomorrow will bring are the greatest of our lifetime. Two wars, a planet in peril, the worst financial crisis in a century. Even as we stand here tonight, we know there are brave Americans waking up in the deserts of Iraq in the mountains of Afghanistan to risk their lives for us. There are mothers and fathers who will lie awake after their children fall asleep and wonder how they'll make the mortgage or pay their doctor's bills or save enough for their child's college education. There's new energy to harness, new jobs to be created, new schools to build, and threats to meet, alliances to repair. The road ahead will be long. Our climb will be steep. We may not get there in one year or even in one term, 
But America, I have never been more hopeful than I am tonight that we will get there. I promise you, we as a people will get there. Obama begins to describe people's feelings and concerns. He acknowledges the reality of the struggles ahead, referring to three, again, the use of three, specifically two wars, a planet in peril, and the worst financial crisis in a century. In these three challenges, the word count is progressively getting longer. This has a particular impact on the rhythm and flow here, and is a feature, in fact, of some of the most famous three-part lists of all time. For example, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The tomorrow Barack Obama speaks of is a simple metaphor for the future. We hear contrast again in the brave Americans waking up to face difficulties in foreign places and American parents unable to sleep because of difficulties at home. Three such difficulties are paying mortgages, medical expenses and college fees. He makes the struggles personal, conveying an understanding of the struggles of ordinary mothers, fathers and their children. The image of a steep mountain climb evokes that last speech made by Martin Luther King on the night before he was assassinated. I've been to the mountain, he said. I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. Interestingly, the hand gesture Obama uses for the steep climb is not slanting upwards, but is somewhat capped at the top, which to me sends a powerful message that this is achievable, that we have got this, that I can see the top. When he says, we as a people will get there, this is uniting. He's moved from speaking about I to we. He raises his voice noticeably when he declares, I promise you, we as a people will get there. We hear the audience begin to chant his famous mantra, yes, we can. There will be setbacks and false starts. There are many who won't agree with every decision or policy I make as president. And we know the government can't solve every problem. But I will always be honest with you about the challenges we face. I will listen to you, especially when we disagree. And above all, I will ask you to join in the work of remaking this nation the only way it's been done in America for 221 years, block by block, brick by brick, calloused hand by calloused hand. What began 21 months ago in the depths of winter cannot end on this autumn night. This victory alone is not the change we seek. It is only the chance for us to make that change. And that cannot happen if we go back to the way things were. It can't happen without you, without a new spirit of service, a new spirit of sacrifice. So let us summon a new spirit of patriotism, of responsibility, where each of us resolves to pitch in and work harder and look after not only ourselves, but each other. 
Let us remember that if this financial crisis taught us anything, it's that we cannot have a thriving Wall Street while Main Street suffers. In this country, we rise or fall as one nation, as one people. Let's resist the temptation to fall back on the same partisanship and pettiness and immaturity that has poisoned our politics for so long. Let's remember that it was a man from this state who first carried the banner of the Republican Party to the White House, a party founded on the values of self-reliance and individual liberty and national unity. Those are values that we all share. And while the Democratic Party has won a great victory tonight, we do so with a measure of humility and determination to heal the divides that have held back our progress. As Lincoln said to a nation far more divided than ours, we are not enemies, but friends. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. And to those Americans who, whose support I have yet to earn, I may not have won your vote tonight, but I hear your voices, I need your help, and I will be your president too. Here Obama pledges his honesty and his intention to listen, especially when we disagree. This is unifying and reassuring for those who didn't vote for him. He uses three alliterative building images involving also the repetition of words to characterize how this has always been done and how America has been built block by block, brick by brick, and calloused hand by calloused hand. This is also another example where the third one is the longest of the three. In addition to the power of three here, alliteration is also evident in block by block and brick by brick. We note the use of contrast again between winter and autumn, Wall Street and Main Street, where the street names here are simple metaphors depicting the worlds of high finance contrasted with ordinary everyday shopping. We hear alliteration again in the spirit of service and sacrifice. Quoting powerful, prominent people is always effective. Obama here quotes Lincoln in this section. We are not enemies, but friends. Though passion may have strained, it must not break our bonds of affection. He appeals once again to those who didn't vote for him with the acknowledgement and the reassurance, I hear your voices. A plea, I need your help and a pledge. I will be your president too. And all those watching tonight from beyond our shores, from parliaments and palaces, to those who are huddled around radios in the forgotten corners of the world, our stories are singular, but our destiny is shared. And a new dawn of American leadership is at hand. To those, to those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. 
And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright tonight, we proved once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. Hear the alliteration here immediately with parliaments and palaces and the contrast again in singular and shared. Three groups of people are addressed, foreigners, political leaders, and the developing world. Obama sends a strong message to those who would like to not only harm America, but tear the world down. We will defeat you. And again, contrast this with support, defeat versus support, supporting those who seek peace and security. The alliterative image of a beacon burning brightly echoes one of the first few lines of Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech. This momentous decree came as a great beacon light of hope to millions of Negro slaves who had been seared in the flames of withering injustice. When referring to the enduring power of our ideals, Obama clearly raises his voice again as he names them, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and unyielding hope. He raises the audience with the raised volume and tone of his voice and then he calms them by pausing and lowering his voice. And yes, there once again, we hear that theme of hope. That's the true genius of America, that America can change. Our union can be perfected. What we've already achieved gives us hope for what we can and must achieve tomorrow. This election had many firsts and many stories that will be told for generations. But one that's on my mind tonight is about a woman who cast her ballot in Atlanta. She is a lot like the millions of others who stood in line to make their voice heard in this election, except for one thing. Ann Nixon Cooper is 106 years old. She was born just a generation past slavery, a time when there were no cars on the road or planes in the sky when someone like her couldn't vote for two reasons, because she was a woman and because of the color of her skin. And tonight, I think about all that she's seen throughout her century in America, the heartache and the hope, the struggle and the progress, the times we were told that we can't, and the people who pressed on with that American creed, yes, we can at a time when women's voices were silenced and their hopes dismissed. She lived to see them stand up and speak out and reach for the ballot. Yes, we can. When there was despair in the Dust Bowl and depression across the land, she saw a nation conquer fear itself with a new deal, new jobs, a new sense of common purpose. Yes, we can. When the bombs fell on our harbor, and tyranny threatened the world. She was there to witness a generation rise to greatness and a democracy was saved. Yes, we can. She was there for the buses in Montgomery, 
the hoses in Birmingham, a bridge in Selma, and a preacher from Atlanta who told the people that we shall overcome. Yes, we can. A man touched down on the moon. A wall came down in Berlin. A world was connected by our own science and imagination. And this year, in this election, she touched her finger to a screen and cast her vote. Because after 106 years in America, through the best of times and the darkest of hours, she knows how America can change. Yes, we can. Obama's election is an example of the very genius of America that he speaks of, that America can change. He mentions hope again and tomorrow again, used as a metaphor for the future. Obama makes exceptional use here of a story, the story of Anne Nixon Cooper. This story, so well chosen, serves to highlight a century of change. Martin Luther King, too, had talked about change over a hundred years, five score years in lamenting that 100 years later, the Negro still isn't free. Use of story in a speech creates an image, a real life, a vivid example that appeals to our emotions and our own experience, detailing a real life person someone that we can connect really easily and meaningfully with. The mantra of, yes, we can, repeated after every example of change and progress, begins to give us goosebumps. We begin to anticipate the words in what's being said, and we are somehow drawn to repeat it within ourselves. The repetitive sequence of, yes, we can, eventually results in the audience joining in as a chorus. Yes, We Can is a universal chant. It has no religious connotations and carries no risk of making any group feel excluded. We hear the alliteration again in heartache and hope and despair in the dust bowl and depression. The rhetorical device of contrast is evident yet again, in the best of times and the darkest of hours. America, we have come so far. We have seen so much, but there's so much more to do. So tonight, let us ask ourselves, if our children should live to see the next century, if my daughters should be so lucky to live as long as Ann Nixon Cooper, what change will they see? What progress will we have made? This is our chance to answer that call. This is our moment. This is our time to put our people back to work and open doors of opportunity for our kids, to restore prosperity and promote the cause of peace, to reclaim the American dream and reaffirm that fundamental truth that out of many, we are one, that while we breathe, we hope, and where we are met with cynicism and doubt, and those who tell us that we can't, we will respond with that timeless creed that sums up the spirit of a people. Yes, we can. Thank you. God bless you. And may God bless the United States of America. While we breathe, we hope. What a fantastic line. 
So here, as he finishes up, Obama appeals to a universal desire, the leaving of a legacy, to make a change. He personalizes it by referring to his own children and connecting past change with future possibility. By asking two rhetorical questions, he is inviting the audience to share his vision and be part of this change. What change will they see? What progress will we have made? Referring here to his children and all of our children. The focus on our moment and our time echoes Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech and his reference to now is the time. The image of opening doors of opportunity brings us back to the American dream theme, harking back to the opening line of the speech, linking the conclusion really well with the opening, which is always a great strategy when structuring any speech. It gives a sense of overall structural unity, simultaneously letting the audience know that he's nearly finished. Overall, Barack Obama as an orator makes exceptional use of his powerful voice with its powerful emphasis, pace and pause. Every word is crystal clear and deliberate. He speaks confidently with no notes, includes everyone in the audience with side to side eye contact, pausing his eye gaze at times. He uses well-chosen hand gestures also. His humility comes across in his acknowledgement of others. In terms of speechcraft, his use of story is very impactful. And this speech has much, much to teach us about the rhetorical devices of contrasts, groups of three, and alliteration. The Let's STEM programme trains young people from ages 5 to 18 in the skills of public speaking. If you'd like to find out more, check out www.letstand.ie or email letstandspeakout at gmail.com. Until next time, think about what is your story? Thank you for listening. Let's stand speaking up about speaking out. If you say what you want